You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Robert Smith. Folks, we've got a terrific guest for you today. Today's guest is a talented performer who can command an audience in ways that you have to see to believe. Quite frankly, in my opinion, he's one of the kindest and most talented performers in our industry. He joins us today from Seattle, Washington, Roberto the Magnificent. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Robert. How you doing? I am amazing. How are things up in Seattle? Good, good. Uh, it's not raining today, you know, um, which is good. Uh, yeah, we uh, all the rest of us on you know been watching national news for most of the year, and you guys have had a little party going on up there in uh, Seattle. How we're tell the the truth here because I think we see national news that that makes the whole chop zone and all that the protests and riots and all that seem like they're just burning down all of Seattle. But I have a feeling it's probably like three blocks. What's the truth on that? It's, it's pretty. It was pretty confined uh, to a, a a small area of downtown Seattle, but uh, you know it's all good. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful city and um, I'm born, born and raised uh, here and um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. I like it up here. So I'm glad we could get you on the show today. I know we had to reschedule once in order to, uh, to balance some family things with the kids. How is parenthood treating you? Good. I am uh, just four months ago, I became a grandpa, which is pretty awesome. Are you, even, are you old enough to be a grandpa? How's that work? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I've got a 23-year-old daughter uh, and a grandson with, uh, from her, and then uh, I have a seven-year-old daughter and a, four, a four-year-old daughter. So, Wow. Now, do people you, – you and I were talking a few days ago when we were setting this up. Do people know your real age? Because I don't think anybody would believe it if they did. No, not many people know my real age. I, I don't think they'd believe it. we i mean we we don't have to go to that i was just when you told me i was like get out of here well you know uh this this year is my 41st year performing and my 40th year doing fairs i did my first fair in 1981 at the peony up in vancouver canada which i met dennis lee uh that was where i met dennis lee for the first time so this is my this year's my 40th year doing fairs Wow. I need to know what your, like your exercise routine is and your diet and what's in your water. Cause you, uh, yeah, you still look like you're 35, man. That's amazing. Thank you. You know, I think it's important to, yeah, take care of yourself, but I think laughter and just enjoying life and just, you know, not stressing out, I think is huge. You know? Yeah. I can get behind that for sure. It's been, uh, it's been a tough year without being able to perform. I know for guys like us who are, you know, natural born performers and we, we live to entertain and give people that, that, that moment, it's really difficult, but I wanted to ask about the kids. Um, are they old enough that they've been impacted by this with school closures and had to do like home virtual school or, or where are they at? Well, my wife, we were homeschooling. Uh, so we've been doing that for the last few years anyway. Okay. So. So it wasn't a big transition for us. And, and the reason we do the homeschooling is um, because we travel a lot. Uh, my wife's from Ireland. So we go back to Ireland usually for a month or two every year. They'll go out there a couple times a year. So it just kind of works better for us just doing the homeschooling thing. But um, my wife's got a great curriculum. They, they, uh, every week they do, they study a different country and they learn all about the culture, festivals, things they do. And then we cook food from that country. So That's right cool. now we're in doing South Africa. We just did uh, France not that long ago. We, you know, so we're just doing, uh, we did Thailand. So we, you know, it's, wow. it's cool. but yeah, uh, my wife's got a great curriculum set up for the kids. Well, the kids don't get that kind of education in public school. That's for sure. That's um, that's a heck of a thing to do for the kids. I know you're one of the busier performers in our industry. How does being a dad impact your ability to get out on the road? I mean, you, you mentioned you guys travel a lot. How often do you bring the kids with you when you go on the road? Uh, as much as I can or whenever they want to, to join, you know, um, you know, that's, if I'm doing, you know, I'm okay. I'm performing in, you know, California, come on down. You know, well, yeah, we'll do Disneyland. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, cool. And then you know, when Disney's in it, like, then they're in, Hey, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be, I'm heading to Kansas or Nebraska and like, have fun. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Those, well, they don't. They don't want to go out into into the Midwest, huh? They want to say, "Oh, Disney, Disneyland, we're sold." But Midwest, no thanks. Yeah. So I, I just <laughs> let them kind of pick and choose. But 
anytime they can join, that's always open. And uh, I love having the family around. That's the hardest thing about, about this business is, is being gone so much. You know, I'm that's the truth. Usually gone for a couple weeks at a time, sometimes a month or more and not seeing the kids. It's tough. Yeah. I, it's, um, you know, usually one of my longest runs of the season is when I go do OC fair and that works out. I mean, it's five weeks for the fair itself, but when you factor in travel, it's, it gets out to about six weeks and yeah, it's a, it's a tough run. Um, I, the first year I went out there, Nate was starting kindergarten and Sarah held him out. So we did the first three days of the fair, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then he was supposed to start kindergarten on Monday. We held him out. And then I flew home Monday, um, during the day. And then Tuesday morning, we had the, you know, the whole first day of kindergarten moment. And, um, that's, you know, me, I don't want to miss things like that being on the road, but there are sometimes, you know, I've missed the, I was there for kindergarten, but first, second, third, and uh, first, second, and third grade, I missed the, those first days being out at OC and frankly would have missed the first day of fourth grade, (laughs) except he was locked in his room doing virtual school because of the the COVID pandemic. So it gets to be, you're definitely right. It gets to be a challenge and it it can be a challenge on the marriage too. How long have you and uh, Kristen been together? Uh, Chris and I have been together. Uh, th- uh, this is our 11th year of uh, uh, anniversaries coming up. And, uh, and then we've been together coming up on like 13 years. We met at WFA actually in Reno at the convention. Was she a performer? What's now what's her background? With Brad's world reptiles. So oh, Brad, got it. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, you were an entertainer for sure when you met her and I was yeah. always, you know, I always get, you know, kind of surprised. I always run the joke. Oh, she was an entertainer. You were an entertainer when she met and, and she still married you. You know, yeah. it's yeah. kind of how I was with Sarah and I, like she knew what she was getting into, but there you go. So she was with Brad's world of reptiles and, uh, and then you guys met and went from there. Was she, was she living in Seattle or where was she at? Uh, she was down in Oregon okay. and uh, we met at WFA and then uh, I had a big tour uh, across the country. I was doing, uh, I think I had like eight or nine NBA half times booked. I had a, a theme park. And so I was driving, uh, all the way to the East coast from Seattle. It was about a, it was about a six week tour. And, wow. uh, you know, she's from Ireland. So her work visa was coming up and, and I was like, Hey, you want to go on a, on a road trip? So we, uh, we, uh, did a road trip around the country and, uh, you know, if you can sit in a car for, you know, four or five weeks uh and still you know enjoy each other's company then that's a good fit so there's probably some some truth to that i know um i know i've met her a couple of times at conventions yeah. um i don't know if i've met any of your kids yet have you had them at convention uh they've done a couple of conventions um okay. yeah uh, we did they came out for a rocky mountain fairs convention okay. um trying to think if they've done we've done wfa as well uh never iafe or any uh that one but yeah they've done they've done a couple of conventions so for the nine listeners i've got on this podcast can you give them some background on your show uh my show is uh it's a high energy comedy juggling unicycling pogo stick stunt show um crazy wacky a lot of fun interactive um it's a very like a physical comedy kind of type show yeah i've kind of developed my show for fairs to be uh fast paced so people don't have a chance to kind of lose interest in what's going on uh right a lot of music uh kind of uh put, pushing along and and uh yeah just I've, I've developed it's 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 big and loud and um perfect for fairs but sometimes yes. when you're like you're doing a corporate gig and you bring that kind of energy and people are like, Whoa, Whoa. So I, when I do corporate things. I got to kind of or bring it down a little bit there. Roberto. Do you remember when we met for the first time? Do you remember when it was? I do. Uh, it was at the Washington state fair. Yeah. Then Puyallup fair the, at that point uh, at the fountain stage. Yep. Uh, I had booked an act in and uh, they canceled and, and then that's, I think they, they brought you in to fill that spot that was canceled from one of the acts that I, that I booked uh, through my entertainment company. Yeah. And I remember it wasn't, um, it wasn't until after, I think my first, one of my first couple shows, cause we were sharing that stage. So we would have that like 15 or 30 minute, 20 minute change over time, whatever it was. And right. that's about the point that I realized how 
hysterical you were because guess they pair guests kept coming up and i guess you used to have a, i'd never seen it but you used to have a partner you yeah, were the what was gentlemen the group jugglers, gentlemen jugglers yeah five years yep and so you guys you used to have a partner and people would come up to you and be like you know oh you're performing solo what happened to your partner he was here last year you were so good and i didn't realize it at the time but i guess you guys had been split like i don't know four years or five years something at some amount of time yeah. it definitely wasn't the year before and you you kept coming up with things like you tell him oh yeah you know he joined the peace corps or whatever and uh he went to build houses for homeless people in south america or something like that yeah i would just you and know people, people would come up asking all the time so i just make up different things that and people would up. buy it yeah and i was just like i'd be cleaning up my magic show and putting stuff in the case and getting the mic and all that and i'd be listening to this like who is this other dude and so i remember talking to you and you were like Oh yeah, he and I, we, he went and took, I guess he took another job or something somewhere else yeah. like four years earlier. And you're like, but people always come up. And so I always give him something. And I think I probably heard 20 or 30 different things <laughs> that he was doing. I would always uh, tell him that I'm joking though. But uh, yeah, John and I, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad split up. Uh, uh, he's the one who taught me how to juggle. Uh, when I was 11, we started street performing and, uh, um, he was, he was the technical side of the show and I was more of the comedy. So we had the straight man, a funny guy combination. Um, but uh, he's, you know, phenomenal juggler, you know, uh, do seven, do seven during the show, juggle seven, uh, wow. you know, five clubs, do all kinds of, you know, pretty, I mean, he, he spent a lot of time practicing. Yeah. I just always, it blew me away at that fair, how quickly, and clearly, I guess, looking back on it, you had, this was not your first time you had been asked questions about him. So you yeah. kind of had your answers in mind, but how yeah. quickly it seemed like you just came up with stuff off the cuff. Um, and then, you know, that fair, that was my first major fair. That was, um, Sarah was six or seven months pregnant at that point. And wow. we had just literally the day before um, I flew up to, to Washington, we had just closed on our first home on this house. Wow. And so it was just, for me, it was this whirlwind of like, okay, my wife's pregnant. I just bought a house. And now I got to come do one of the biggest fairs in the country. It's my first major. And then I found out how loyal those fans, you know, I was talking to Andrea Thayer from the fair and um, on the show. And we were talking about how loyal Puyallup fans are to the point that they were coming up to me. I guess there had been a different hypnotist in the years prior. And I guess he had a scheduling conflict or something at that point and he couldn't do the fair that year right and they were coming up to me at fountain plaza stage yelling at me why'd you get rid of the hypnotist he was and i'm like i don't even know who the hypnotist was what are yeah. you talking about yeah that's a great that's a great fair um yeah i i thank uh people like bob carlson who was with the fair who uh candace blancher who who kind of gave gave me a, a good start um this next year will be my 29th or actually 30th consecutive year there. Well, not consecutive, Wild. 2020. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great fair and, and uh, you know, it's somewhat close to home. It's about an hour drive, but, uh, but yeah, I love that fair. So do you okay. commute when you're at that fair or do you get a hotel down closer to the grounds? Nope. I, uh, I'll commute back and forth. I've also got an, uh, an RV that I can, uh, that I have down there so that if any nights I want to just, crash out in the rv i can do that and uh sometimes i'm doing promotions early in the morning and so it's like ah to get back home and then first thing in the morning drive down oh, for sure especially when you got to be on site at you know 4 30 or 5 o'clock in the morning rvs make sense right and uh, and sure. then and then uh, the kids will come down and then we'll do a you know super fun weekend at the fair with the kids and yeah um, they yeah. do a fantastic job with it i was just blown away i mean that was my my first um, real major that I'd done in this industry, I'd done the New Mexico State Fear a few years prior, but it, from the time that I got into IFE and really committed, that was my first major. And it was like, I was overwhelmed. I mean, they do such a phenomenal job with everything that they roll out and the, the variety of entertainment they have. Um, you know, clearly they've got good taste. They brought you in for 30 years now. And yeah, you're, it'll be, it'll be 30, you know, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed that we uh, were able to get back to, uh, doing these gigs how do you come up with your stage name you know back when i was with the duo uh the gentleman jugglers uh the way we introduced the show is i am roberto the magnificent and this is john and john and john and yeah. he did all the hard stuff i got the big billing of the name and so 
when he he decided to to hang it up uh um i just kept the name roberto the magnificent and yeah and, uh, what a juxtaposition though you're the guy that gets the big billing and you've got the you know all the kind of grandiose around you but you don't do deadly he's the one doing all the work in the show yeah yeah that is, are there are there videos of you guys like out on youtube anywhere no but you know i should i should actually uh dig some up and put put them up there uh you should a lot i'd of love people, to see it um uh, ask about you know what's going on he came out um i uh to the fair i actually uh brought him out to uh the washington state fair for a weekend we did a big reunion it was our uh our 10 years since the since we uh we quit you know uh, split up and we had you know i promoted it had all these fans showing up um just like the gentleman jugglers and we we rehearsed we did a bunch of our uh we you know we used to do a synchronized swimming spoof with caps and goggles and in sync uh, club spinning and water spitting and all this stuff. And so we, we actually did, uh, did some of our old classic routines. Uh, I had a whole bunch, uh, a big box full of merch, you know, and he, when we split up, he's like, Oh, just throw that out. I'm like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to it. So when we did this reunion show, I pulled out all that merch and we just flipped it. Just, you know, went through all of it. And he's like, wow, I didn't realize we had all this stuff. I'm like, no, because it was in my garage. <laughs> so you, taking up space you didn't know that in you know, my house, not like, yours. Wow, we, we did really good on merchandise. I'm like, no, <laughs> I did really good on merchandise. <laughs> you gave it to me, remember? I'll yeah. give you an 80, we'll do 80-20 on it. Wow. And, so uh, when you perform, what's your favorite part of performing? Uh, you know, just the reaction from of people. You know, I think I think that's... The best thing is just seeing people smile, having a good time, and that's that's my favorite. That's the reason I got into performing is just to just to create happiness, smiles, laughter. Did you, did you end up performing at all in 2020? I did. I did uh, before it all hit. I did a handful of NBA half times uh, back in January. Uh, we went to Ireland for all of February, and then when we came back from Ireland that's when everything just canceled, but right. I, st I still had four fairs that, st uh, that stayed on the, ca on the calendar. Um, so I did the Delaware state fair. I did the Wyoming state fair, uh, Lincoln County fair in, uh, Wyoming and also, uh, the Northwest Montana fair. Got it. We spoke so with I, Courtney Conkle on the show early in the, in the season. I think it was, um, fair game 206. She was on and she, was very thrilled with the results they had. I, you know, I know that for everybody that worked at the fair that couple of weeks after they were holding their breath and then they had no, um, no noticeable change in the, uh, in the curve of the, of cases. Right. So that was a great thing for them. Yeah. So yeah. look, well, they, they look did, at, they did it right. You know, they, they, they distanced people, they did all, all the right things to just keep it safe. And, and, uh, you know, that's, that's priority one is just making sure that, that, you know, we're, we're all safe and, um, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was good fair. So good looking fair. back at, at 2020, was there a point that you realized this pandemic was going to be a much bigger deal than, than some of us were thinking in the beginning? Cause I talking to most fair managers, they were thinking, you know, two months, maybe three months, we'll have some issues and then we'll be back to rocking and rolling. And obviously that wasn't the case. When did you realize we're in trouble? You know, um, it was probably, I mean, all, all my fairs, uh, canceled for spring, and then I was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm sure everything's gonna be fine by June, July. And then things kind of just kept dropping off. And then it got to a point where I'm like, you know, I'm not holding my breath for, you know, who knows how this is all gonna turn out. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's out of our control. All we can do is just be ready. You know, and that's that's what I did. I was just like, hey, if, if they're gonna go, I'm ready to go. And, and yep. um, but you know, it, traveling as much as I do this this year was really nice just actually being home hanging out with the family and really connecting with with the family um so for me it was it was you know I had a little bit of work I had about you know 30 days worth of work yeah. um but the whole summer just you know did some hiking and uh just you know built the kids a playground in the backyard did a bunch of housework just hanging out just in you know, um, so it was actually kind of, kind of a nice, nice 
somewhat nice slow down for you, especially for somebody that's been performing as, as often and as long as you have. Now you're, you all live in, in Seattle, right? Or just outside Seattle? Just outside of Seattle. Yeah. What's the COVID response look like up there? Y'all still locked down, partially open? Where are you at? You know, um, it's, it's still pretty locked down. I mean, uh, restaurants are not open. Uh, you know, they, you can do like outdoor seating, uh, things like that, but, um, yeah, they're still, you know, kind of, you know, taking care of business, but you know, we're, we're on the decline from what I understand. You know, I think we're, we're one of the States where things are, are looking good, looking better. Yeah. It, I hope so. I hope we all get on the decline. We, um, down here in New Mexico, you know, we were told back in, I want to say the beginning of December, somewhere around Thanksgiving right in there that, you know, our governor set up this tiered system of when we could get kids back in school. It was a red, yellow, green deal. And you had to be in green for two weeks before the schools could start to reopen. And then they would phase reopen it where it would be kinder first could go, second, third would go for it, you know. But we're still in red. And some of the analysts were looking at it saying we could be in red another 26 weeks at that point. And then the other day at her state of the state address, she was like, oh, by the way, you can go back to school February 8th. Boom, snap of a finger, just like that. It was like, what? What happened? Right. How, what happened? And then, you know, we've got a blue governor. And of course, a lot of people are even, I even know Democrats that were like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's awfully convenient that we got ourselves a new president and you're like, okay, go back to school. And I, who knows? I mean, all this, the districts still have to have an opening plan. They're going to have to do some kind of a hybrid model where, you know, my sister or my, uh, <laughs> Sarah, my sister. <laughs> Sarah is uh, is an assistant principal down at, at one of the schools, and so she's telling me they're looking at like fifty percent for two days a week, and then they're going to be closed on Wednesday, and then the other fifty percent come the mm -hmm. other like Thursday, Friday. It just it, it's going to be, I think, a mess. But I think people are open to it because they're ready to get moving again. Like our son Nate is done with this whole sitting on a computer for six hours a day listening to his teacher like that he wants to be in in class he wants to be yeah, in school. and that's there's so many kids that are just going just wanting to get back to, to school and you know some normalcy you know yeah definitely i mean for your kids i guess they're kind of lucky in that nothing really changed they were homeschooled before they just kind of kept doing the same routine so they did not have that disruption um at least not to that extent in their lives obviously for all of us you know, being shut down has been a real struggle mentally and, and definitely has had a crippling effect on our income. Have you guys been able to generate revenue for your business or, you know, otherwise? You know, uh, nope. We just, it's been kind of just a wait and see, uh, you know, yeah. uh, I was kind of hoping to that some of the, you know, the Christmas shows were going to come through, but that, I mean, everything just canceled. Um, I ended up just getting a little side job at Costco uh, for during the holidays, just to kind of as a seasonal worker. So I'm, yeah, I'm a professional box boy, <laughs> but yeah. So I just, you know, uh, there's a Costco uh, five minutes from the house. So I just, yeah. yeah gotta, well, it's good that it's close. It's not like you got to drive across Seattle or something to get to, to uh, a job. Yeah. yeah. So, and no, nothing wrong with that, man. I know there's a couple of performers, Jeremiah, who is with the uh, Robo cars. I know he's been working with, I don't know if he's still doing it, but it's with home Depot for a little while. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do to make yeah. sure that bills are getting paid, paid and stay above water. There's, there's never any shame in, in having a job and generating income ever. It was my, this is my, it was my first job ever. So I'm 51 and I've never had a job. Ah, here he let it out. He spilled the beans. Do I need to edit that? Do I need to edit it? <laughs> no, you're all good. But uh, umpty one, umpty one years old. Doing a, doing a interview with them and they're going, okay. And I'm like, well, this is, this is my first job interview ever in my life. And they're like, what? <laughs> you know? And so, uh, like, I was, just, I was kind of a circus freak <laughs> yeah. a little bit and, uh, so, wow. Yeah. That's but it's crazy. Fun. You know, I, I, I do little magic tricks for, for some of the, you know, customers and whatnot and just kind of still having fun doing what I do, you know? You know, when I worked my way through college, I worked at Montgomery Ward and I remember doing, um, I sold electronics in Electric Avenue, and I remember doing little magic tricks for, especially if they had kids and they're trying to make a decision on a big screen TV or a home theater system or whatnot. And the kids kind of, you know, daddy, daddy, I want to go. And I'd be like, oh, check this out. And I do a little card trick or I'd pull a D light out or whatever. And I do something and 
gave mom and dad a chance to talk. And then mom and dad turn around and say, okay, we're going to take that one. And we, we want that speaker system. And then I'm like, yes. Yeah. I think I made more money at Montgomery Ward doing magic than I did doing magic other places. <laughs> no, it's, it's fun to incorporate, you know, what we do. Uh, you know, if you got a, a, a normal job, I guess. Um, but yeah, just keeping it fun. That's I'm, I'm all about, you know, again, making, you know, getting people to smile and have a good time and, and uh, you know, life is good. Be well, happy. and do you, do you have a different um, not only, being as as young as you are but being as experienced as you are in the world do you feel like you go to a job like that and you hear other people complain other coworkers that might complain about oh i gotta do this out of the other but you're just like bro i'm just stocking shelves this is super easy like is it a relaxed atmosphere for you to work in you know it, it is um it's definitely not uh as physical my show my show is pretty pretty physical show and so um yeah it's definitely you know, I know that when they when they hired me on, uh, you know, uh, temporarily to do that job, they uh, they're like, oh, you're going to be really, you know, it's gonna, you're going to be pretty tired, you know, pace yourself. And I'm going, you don't know what, you know, what I normally do for real. <laughs> I could probably stock this whole store in two days and I wouldn't even break a sweat. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting on my tall unicycle, though, to, to stock a higher shelves or something. You know, I'm sure that that uh, loss prevention will love that. They will cheer you on for that one. <laughs> so, you know, in talking to other guests while we've been recording these episodes, it's become real apparent that all of us in this industry, whether we're entertainers, vendors, con you know, concessionaires, fair managers, we need to be reaching out and staying in touch with each other because um, yeah. there's some people that I've even spoken to over the last month or so that a couple of them that seem like they're starting to get into kind of a dark place. Um, they need things to reopen and it's real slow going. Are you keeping in touch with folks in the industry? How And how do they, the folks you are keeping in touch with, how do they seem to be handling the stress of this quarantine? You know, every, everyone's different how they're, how they're dealing with it. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've definitely, you know, reach out uh, here and there. Um, Carla uh, Majeski was up with, uh, up at uh, the Northwest Washington fair doing a drive through zoo. We yeah. went up and, and spent a day up there and, and visited her and Mike and, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, try to keep in touch with people. Some, you know, th this thing, just because we have the kids around, it's, it's been a lot easier, but for some of, some of our, our fair family, uh, you know, they, they don't have kids or they don't have that family and they're kind of just isolated and they're just yeah. by themselves. And it's like, so that's when we need to step up and, and make sure that we're taking care of our, uh, of our, our, our people, our, our fair family. Yeah. Aside from how this has been such an awful year for business, how are you doing personally? You seem to be taking this kind of with a, a sense of ease. You know, um, uh, I'm just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's out of our control. You know, we just try to make the best of it, you know, take it day to day. Um, but, you know, uh, there hasn't been any income. Uh, luckily, uh, my mortgage has been uh, in furlough or whatever they call it. And they're, they're uh, so I haven't had to make house payments for a little while, which has been easy. But, you know, I'm about ready to sell some of these baseballs and signed basketballs to make some extra money. Well, know? I got a collection behind me. Yeah, I got a that. whole bunch of them in there. So, yeah, only one of them's only one of them signed. But, yeah, yeah you got your you got your uh, I know I, I've got. Yeah, you can find baseballs and basketballs and nice. There we go. Yep. So that top case has got uh, signed CDs from Boys to Men. They're my favorite group ever. And then if you look on that left case, yeah, the ball that's on the top row on the right is signed by Jimmy Morris, who was the rookie. You remember Disney's the rookie? Oh, yeah. Where he was like 35. He was a science teacher and uh, his players challenged him to go try out again. And he made it with Tampa Bay back in like 99. So nice. It's very cool. I got a, that's that basketball there. I got a Shaq signed ball. I met nice. Shaq half time. He actually juggles. Pretty cool. Does he really? Yeah. Nothing that guy doesn't do, I'm, I swear. I'm, I'm warming up and he comes up and he goes, give me those. And I'm like, uh, okay, Shaq, here you go. He <laughs> grabbed my What are you going to say? No. Yeah. So he started, he started juggling my clubs, you know, my pins and uh, his hands are like catcher's mitts. I mean, his mm -hmm. hands are so big. And uh, 
so he's like, hey, thanks. I'm like, hey, cool. And then and then I was doing another halftime. I think it was in Portland or something. And, and uh, the Lakers were visiting. And he kind of got my attention from a distance. He goes, you doing the halftime? So he remembered who I was. And wow. Whatnot. So Shaq is pretty cool. And and uh, I got a Carl Malone mm-hmm. signed ball. And yeah, um, I've got I got some, a pretty good collection from doing yeah. that. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, see that Jimmy Morris ball is the only one I've got signed. All the other ones come from, um, they come from different stadiums. So like when I did, where's the, uh, so that's Seattle's right there. Nice. Um, that's the one I got when I did Puyallup and that's, I think somewhere in there, I started getting affairs and I was like, you know, you have that morning off or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to run up to the stadium. And so now wherever I travel, if I go through, I buy a baseball, I go hit the stadium and I, I buy a baseball. The thing that slays me though. Yeah. I've seen the everything. Mariners in Chicago. I've seen the Mariners in Toronto when I've yeah. been touring. So, uh, but I do the same thing whenever I can catch a baseball game. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites in 83, I was in New York uh, for the juggling convention and uh, went to a Yankee game at the old Yankee stadium. And it was the pine tar game with George Brett. Oh, George Brett's pine. You were there. I was at the pine tar game. Oh dude. man. When he, <laughs> when they, when they took that bat and ejected him, he oh. explained, I thought he was going to kill that ump. Like yeah. he was livid. Yeah. And so we were all going like, what's going on? What's going on? Well, I still have my ticket from the pine tar game. George Brett owns a minor league team in Spokane, Washington, the uh, Spokane Indians. And uh, I, when I do uh, baseball games, I would, you know, I'd go over to do Spokane. Uh, I brought my ticket with me, hoping I'd see George Brett. I saw him said, sir, could you please sign this? And he looked at it and he goes, he kind of shook his head like, oh man, but he signed it. So I got a, I got a George Brett signed pine tar ticket. On the pine tar game ticket. <laughs> you know, I drove by his house. I did uh, a couple years ago. I was out in Kansas city doing a new year's Eve show. And I went out to dinner with Andrew um, from the insurance company. Yep. And, and uh, so he goes and drives me around and he's like, oh, hey, I'm going to go show you this house. You're going to be just blown away by how big it is. And it's like a compound. There's not yeah. like, it's not like a wall even around it or anything. It's just there on the side of the road, but it is like this massive house. He goes, you know who lives there? And I'm like, oh, who? He goes, that's George Brett's house. And I was yeah. like, I hate that guy. Just because he, you know, I'm a Mets fan and the Royals beat them, beat the Mets in 2015. Right. So I got a yeah. thing. I have no love for the Royals, but whatever. <laughs> He's a great yeah. guy. Though. Really, really, really awesome. Awesome guy. And, and, uh, I love, I love working for, working for his team, you know? Yeah. Hey, I, I tell you what, um, I learned a valuable lesson that year in 2015. So the Mets had already won, they beat Chicago and they were going to the world series. And I was thrilled because the Mets never go to the world series. And then it was Casey and, uh, Toronto were in game seven. And I'm, I'm quietly hoping Toronto wins because I knew Kansas city could eat fastballs for lunch. And that's all our guys threw. And so I'm messaging, I'm, I'm texting Steve Seaver from IFE and I'm like, oh, Toronto's got this. Watch that Toronto's going to wipe you guys out. I'm talking trash. Well, sure enough, KC comes back and wins. And I'm all, I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. And I didn't learn my lesson because not 10 seconds later, I sent him a text and I said, how about a friendly wager on the World Series? And he goes, how much? And I said, loser buys the other one, the championship t-shirt. And he goes, all right, I'll take that bet. Yeah. Hmm. hope he enjoyed the t-shirt <laughs> i hope i've i don't i will never every time i bet on something like that on these stupid little side bets like that i have i have like a one in infinity record i never i never win so i should know better than that with uh betting on my team like that so anyhow uh so are, question are you, for you are you a mets fan what's 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 your fascination with the mets so my family all comes from new jersey Okay. And my mom ditched school to watch the Mets when they won in 69. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to New Mexico in 80, end of 80. And um, so it gets to be 86. And I'm a young, impressionable little kid. And mom is just like, the Mets made it the World Series. The Mets made it the World Series. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah. But then I watched and I was like, man, this is really cool. And I watched the Buckner game. And then I watched them come back and, uh, and win again in game seven. And the, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And so the next year I got into Little League and started playing baseball. And that was it. I was a Mets fan ever since. Yeah. 
that was, you know, that's what that, the keep calm and you got to believe there on the back behind me. That's, I made that, I painted that when David Wright was diagnosed with uh, spinal stenosis, our, our old third baseman. He's one of my favorite players and he got forced into retirement because of, of stenosis. So yeah, baseball is a special thing for me, man. Like that bat behind me that came from the Louisville Slugger Museum. Nice. I did the, I did the Ohio state fair and I was like, I'm looking at the route to come home and I'm like, you know, only about an hour, a couple hours out of the way I could go hit, go South instead of going back across towards St. Louis, I could go South and hit Louisville and go to the museum and go check. And I, then I could hit the, the stadium in uh, Cincinnati yeah. and then I could cut back across and then go hit St. Louis. And so I did that and it was, it was pretty cool to see how all the bats are made and everything. That's a really fascinating museum. If you yeah, ever I, get a chance I, to go, I've been, I've been to Louisville a few times, but I've never done, I've never done the, uh, the bat museum, but I, yeah, I, I, if you get a chance, you should, it's really, it's pretty fascinating how fast they can knock these things out um, and, and make them for these players. Right. They were making, when I walked in that day, they were making like 30 bats for Derek Jeter. And I was like, hmm, that's cool. cool. Just right there to his exact specifications. So right, it's a pretty cool little museum. Hey, yeah. if you weren't performing, what do you think you'd be doing for a living? Um, well, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't imagine not performing. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I'd be doing. Um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I don't know. I've never, never really thought of anything else. I, I don't know what I'd be doing. Yeah. That's I, I, Sarah and I think about it from time to time. Sarah would always say that if she wasn't in education, she would be a mortician. And I'm like, wait, what? But she's got this very macabre side to her that a lot of people don't know about. Um, one of her students, when she was teaching second grade, they actually, the year she got, um, she got pregnant with Nate one of her students, her mom worked at the cadaver lab down at the university. So they would prepare bodies and whatnot for like the med students to, to work on. And so she had, at that point, they could, they had like plasticized body parts that they could bring out and do a, do a science lesson with. And so here are these second graders that are like looking at brains and lungs and things. And so Sarah's just very much, I know what she would be doing for sure. Sarah would definitely be involved in death. <laughs> you know, I don't know for me though, what I would be doing because I love performing, you know, for me, that moment where someone comes up and they press conjure button and I say something stupid to them and they chuckle and then I hand them a fortune card. And, and some folks don't realize the stuff that conjure says is funny, but the stuff on the fortune cards is deeply meaningful. And I will watch people take three or four steps away look at the card and read it and stop dead in their tracks because something on that card spoke to them for something in their lives. I right. get pictures posted um, throughout fair season where young 15 and 16 year old girls tape that card to their bathroom mirror because there's something on it that motivates them or inspires them. And I'm like, that's, that is my oxygen. That's what I breathe for. You know what I mean? Think, thinking about your question, I, I think I'd probably be like a teacher actually. I can you know, see that. Uh, I because I, I I go around and, and teach juggling at schools, and just to you know to see kids just you know like doing something they never thought they could do before, and you know just how rewarding it it you know doing the the you know and usually I'll spend like two or three days at a school teaching every kid how to juggle. Right. And I think I think I'd probably be a teacher. I think you know I just, could see that because even if you weren't teaching juggling, like if you were teaching science as an example. You strike me as the type of person that would be like Mr. Keating in Dead Poets Society. You would you would educate differently. You would not be the person that just the teacher that just opens the books and recites from the teacher's edition. Right. You would inspire. You would motivate. Like I can see that because you kind of do that in your show. I mean, you may not yeah, see it yourself, but how you teach, you know, when, yeah. when you see people in your audience, and I know when you're performing because I've been on that stage that you're looking for cues of was that joke funny did i land that do i need to go a little faster do i need to slow it down you're all looking for how do you control the, the flow of your show but when i'm watching in your audience when and and i did that for several weeks back there in 2010 those people are you take them someplace else for that 30 minutes they're watching you they don't they're not worrying about stress they're not worrying about their job they're not worrying about you know or, are they having marital troubles or financial problems they are just Cutting, cutting loose and laughing and experiencing something 
and you're the one doing it for them, which is that, to me, that's what our job is, is all it's the magic of what we do People away from their normal daily, what they're dealing with. And, and that's, that's what our job is. You know, I, I really try to connect with my crowd. I, I make it a point when I'm performing to, to try to look at every single person in my audience, at least once, you know, I try to, I really try to, to make a connection every, everywhere, you know, with, with everyone, you know. Yeah. You know, I was reading a, um, Jimmy Morris's book. I was telling you, I had that autograph from him. Um, he just released a book called dream makers and he's, he's a public speaker now. So he's a motivational speaker and he shares a story about, you know, being the rookie and whatnot and getting drafted by the devil rays when he was 35, which is just unheard of. But he was, he shares the story where he was talking to another, when he was first becoming a speaker and he was talking to another public speaker and he was like, you got any tips? Like what, you know, what should I, what can I do to really make sure I'm winning over the room? And he says, so here's what you want to do. This guy tells him. You know, in that first 10 minutes of your speech, you want to make sure you're looking at everybody and surveying the room. And then you want to find the person that out of all of them is the least connected. And then you want to look at them and speak to them. And when they're looking at you and engaging with you and laughing with the rest of the audience, then you know you've got everybody. Right. And I was like, that's a really find interesting that, Find point. that one person that's not connecting and connect with them. And then you know you've got everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good point because I, I read that and I was like, Oh, all of us can do that. Any of us that are performers that have a stage that have an audience in front of us, you find the person that is the least impressed. I used to do that, you know, when I sub when I was a substitute teacher, because when I first got started and back in 2010, um, 10, 11, 12, and there I was substitute teaching because it allowed me to have some income. And then I just didn't take sub jobs when I was going away to a fair. But I would do the same thing with the kids. I would find the kid that's the least engaged in class. And once I won them over, I knew I had everybody in the class. Yeah. So, good. Um, now in your time performing, is there anything, you know, now as a performer or as a human that you wish you'd known when you started so many years ago? Uh, I wish I would have saved more money. <laughs> you know, when we were, when we were first starting and we we're street performing, uh, the first time that John and I, as a gentleman jugglers, we went down to Seattle Center and we passed our hat uh, or we did a show and we had, you know, we, after the show, we'd pass our hat for tips. And uh, we were 11 that day uh, that uh, when, we, uh, when we were doing this and we made like 60 bucks. And as an 11 year old, two That's 11 a lot of money. making 60 bucks. And we were like, whoa. And I was like, dude, I am quitting my paper out and he's like i'm quitting mowing lawns and that's what that at that point we're like this is what we're going to do but but john's grandpa always said hey put some of that money aside let your money work for you he kept saying and we're like yeah i'm gonna go get a new stereo system and i'm right bought my own first car and you know I, I, but man i just wish i kind of would have put some money aside you know yeah yeah we've we finally started doing that in the last year or so and um, yeah, I wish I can just tell you this, if I'd had, you know, a thousand or $5,000 to put on Bitcoin back in 2011, <laughs> man, <laughs> oh man, it was like $2 and something cents a Bitcoin back then. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody cared. It'd be worth like, you know, $30 million today. If we'd put like $10,000 down on it. Can you imagine that just being like, oh yeah, I bought $10,000 in this cryptocurrency that nobody knows about. And then 10 years later, you're like, I'm worth. 30 mil. Yeah. It'd yeah. be a trip. Be a trip. If I had a time machine, that's what I'd be doing. I'd be going back and being like, there's a thousand bucks, put it on this. Uh, so listen, one, what's your one thing, what, one thing I've learned over the years too, is just, is I guess not, not let your career dictate your life, but you dictate your career. And cause amen. you know, we, we have the, we have the power to go and do what we want to do. But a lot of times we get, we get, you know, where we don't turn any work down. It's just, it's in, in us to like, I'm taking that job. I don't care if I've got to pull an all nighter to get over here to do this. And, and we're, we're, we, we just, we take everything that comes our way, but pretty soon you kind of, your, your career is dictating your life and it, yep. should, it should be the other way around. And I think that's, that's something that, you know, I didn't really know early on is, you know, cause I was just like, yeah, book shows, shows, do it. Right. Do it. Well, and I think so many people get involved in running their own sm small business, whether they're entertainers or they're going to run their, you know, a, a coffee shop or a small marketing firm or whatever they do. 
one of the main reasons that you read about online when you read articles in Forbes and, and you know, Entrepreneur Magazine, all that. One of the main reasons people want to start their own business is because they want to call their own shots and, and they want to be able to work when they want to work and they don't realize when they're starting their small business. It's a 60, 80, 100 hour a week proposition. Like it is all encompassing. It is far easier to go work for somebody else nine yeah. to five than it is to put your own skin in the game. But I get it because we all do that. Even as entertainers, you know, if you're not at a fair, I mean, you spent years and years and years honing your craft and, and your ability to do what you do. Um, I remember there was one year, my first year at OC fair, I was going from OC, they ended mid August. And then two weeks later, Labor Day, I was supposed to be at the Maryland state fair. Well, I get a call in the middle of the year from the Illinois state fair. And they're like, Hey, um, you know, this is when we are, we'd love to have you come out and do this fortune machine. And I'm looking at the schedule and I said, you know, you guys open the weekend. I'm closing at OC fair, but if you can take me for your back five days, I can be there. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. And I thought, cool. Now I'm going to get paid part way. So that middle weekend, I'm going to make some money. I'll take that. Except it was a 28 and a half hour drive to make in two and a half days. Mm -hmm. I left that Sunday afternoon and drove to, I think it was Flagstaff. And then the next day I drove from Flagstaff. I stopped in Albuquerque for an hour to see Sarah from Flagstaff to, I think I made it somewhere in Oklahoma. And then maybe El Reno and then from El Reno, just North of St. Louis. And then the, the morning of that Wednesday morning, I went the last two hours into Springfield loaded in and did four shows that day. That, and that's when I told Sarah, like, I will never ever do that again, yeah. just because of the, the danger involved in it. I mean, the, there was at one point I'm calling some Steve Seavers on the phone, talking to me. He's like, stay awake, Rob, just stay awake, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we, I stopped in Springfield and visited with them for a little bit, but man, dry, when you think about that, that's when you're like, is it worth it? That kind of jump and the risk involved driving that many hours. Like if I could have flown, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but yeah, I agree with you. Con control your career. Don't let your career control you since we haven't done a jump like that since, you know, so I just ruled that third weekend of August after OC fair. Now, if anybody wants me, they've got to be within 12 hours, the end. Right. Yeah, my longest jump, I did an Indiana Pacers game, and then I had to be back in Seattle uh, in two, less than two days. And so uh, Chris and I, my wife and I, we, uh, we drove nonstop uh, 39 hours, just That's nonstop. I mean, the car, we just traded off, and we drove all night, all day. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you go back yeah. to Seattle, and it's like, even if you slept in the car, you didn't really sleep in oh, the I car. I felt like I was still moving in the car. I was like, oh, God, I just... Uh -huh. Yeah. but I, I made it, I did my gig and they were happy, but I was like, yeah, you know, why'd I even take that job? So I had to make that jump. And so, yeah, I'm much more uh, aware and, and conscious of, of where I'm routing and, and having a couple of days to play around at golf while you're driving or check some yeah. things out, you know, um, usually when I'm driving across the country, uh, you know, say I'm heading out to like do the Ohio state fair or something like that. I'll stop off and, and do a couple of days of camping in Yellowstone, you know, right. um, enjoy, enjoy it, you know? Well, and it's one of the reasons that I love this industry so much is because I love to travel. I love to go see different places and we literally get paid to go do that, you know? And it, it hit me when I finally, um, after the Illinois state fair, I just, I drove from Springfield over, I had like four days to get over to, Maryland and Maryland's not that that far Baltimore's not that far from Springfield I want to say it's like 16 hours maybe um so I'm like I got plenty of time so I leave Springfield I drive over to Columbus and I was and I got there it was only like five hours and I'm like I'm done I'm not doing anymore and I'm gonna rest the rest of the evening and I decided then I'm like you know what I drive all over this country because I, and one of the things I love to do is to sightsee and travel and, and see new places and I'm not doing it all I'm doing is banging out these huge jumps, fair to fair to fair to fair. And then I get home and I'm like, man, I drove right through there and I didn't even realize it. Right. And so I made the decision that night. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do some stuff here and uh, I'm going to see some things. And that's, um, that's when it was like, you know, instead of just like I did before where I went to Louisville Slugger Museum, I was like, no, I'm going to really see some stuff. So after Maryland, like I get to Maryland early, I'm like, I'm like two hours, hour and 40 minutes from Philadelphia. So I went to go see all the, the independence hall and the constitution museum and all that stuff. Those historic sites. And I'm a U S history buff. I love it. 
So I go see all those historic sites. I go to the stadiums. I go down into Baltimore to go to Fort McHenry where, you know, Francis Scott Key was where the bombardment happened and the national anthem comes from. And then after that, after that state fair was done, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to spend a day in Virginia. So I go to all these president's homes and I'm like, this is cool. Now I'm living. This is what I wanted to do. And so I try to do that on, on every run now. Um, time doesn't always work out, but you know, yeah. it's one of the things when I talk to people that have careers, nine to five careers, they almost all say, man, I'd love to travel more. I'd love to travel more. And I'm like, what a gift that we've got. Yeah. The ability to go travel and be able to do this. I'm like, it would be a shame if I get to the end of my career and I didn't use that gift to be able to see a lot of this country. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of time, you know, you know, been, been all over the place, but you don't really uh, see anything because you're, you know, you're either you're, if you're working too much or yeah. um, um, I've, there's only two States that I've never been to. I've never been to Maine or Vermont and I've, I've worked in 48 of the 50 States wow. I've made money in 48 of the 50 States. Maine um, and Vermont. So what yeah. do we got to do to get you up there? Got to get to Maine and Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> Even if we get you into like Massachusetts for a show and then you take a run over to Maine and Vermont. I mean, yeah. you can do, you can do all of those States in a day. I mean, there's so yeah. you can do breakfast in Maine, you do lunch in New Hampshire, and you could do dinner in Vermont. It's all that close. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh, so what's your 2021 look like? Are you getting contracts rebooked for your cancellations? Yeah. yeah, it's all it's all starting to kind of fall into place. But then again, you know, I mean, it's out of our control. And all we can do is just be ready. You know, I've been, uh, you know, keeping up my chops been practicing. Uh, I've got some uh, great new stuff that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to presenting uh, new new routines and um, ideas. I do a lot of writing. Um, so I'm, I'm, ex I'm excited for this next year. I, I know that uh, uh, I had some Arizona fairs booked for spring and they've kind of been bumped back a little bit. Uh, yeah. but yeah, things are starting to fall into place. Uh, uh, and the same for, for some of the acts that I book, uh, through leapfrog. So, yeah, I, my gut feeling, I've been saying this on the show for, you know, about a month now, I feel like, um, probably by end of June or July, we're going to start pulling that needle back in our favor and we're going to start seeing more events happen. They may not be fully open, you know, with right. no mass or whatever, may stuff to mass, may stuff to have mitigation strategies, but I think we're going to start seeing things shift back our direction uh, by the middle of the year. As navigating- People are going to be ready. People are going to be so ready for, to be entertained. Hugely, yeah. hugely. Yeah. Has navigating this crisis taught you anything about yourself? Slow down, you know, enjoy, you know, uh, for, for me, this last year, again, was kind of a blessing uh, in a way that um, I just got a chance to really spend time with my kids and my family because I'm, I'm yeah. gone so much. Um, you know, uh, we're all healthy and uh, doing good. But yeah, what it's taught me is just to slow down and just, you know, uh, enjoy life. It's not all about working. It's just, you know, enjoy. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you. Um, listen, we're out of about out of time here, and I appreciate no. you being on the show today. No, but before we go, Robert, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Is this going to be a Joe Rogan three-hour marathon? It's nice to talk to you. I haven't, I haven't seen you in so long, man. It's just it's it has been, been great, a long time. Great seeing you, man. It it really has been a long time. And and uh, I'll tell you one thing: this podcast has done for me is it's kind of given me um, a purpose. Again, you know, you get to the point. I I wouldn't say I was getting to a dark space necessarily, but things were definitely starting to weigh on me by the fall of last year. So it was like, you know, I'd had part of it was I had surgery on my ankle in July to get that repaired. Finally, I figure if I got all this time off, I finally got the six months to fix my ankle. Yeah. But in that process, you know, I'm not able to go to the gym, gain some weight. And then I'm like, you know, all these bears, what's going to happen. You know, you start thinking there's a long dark tunnel ahead of you. And um, so the light, for me in this tunnel has been talking to all of you guys on this podcast and we're starting to finally, it takes a while, you know, when you're starting to do a project like this, it takes a while to start getting some traction and we're, we're starting to get some real good feedback from some people that, you know, I heard them and I, one person said, I was listening to this, this podcast you did. And I realized I am not alone in all this and I need to be calling more people and saying, how did you handle this and, and connecting more? So, you know, we're not making any money on the podcast. I wish we could, I wish I could say I did. <laughs> yep. but it's just you're doing, a you're, doing a, you're doing a great job man you you really appreciate are. it and uh um 
yeah, I'm, I'm just thankful. I mean, when you, when you asked me to, to, to do this, I'm like, heck yeah, I'm down. Yeah. And, well, and we've been out there asking people and saying, Hey, putting messages out on Facebook and emailing people, Hey, if you want to come on, we'd love to have you on. And, um, that's when people are like, really, you think I could be on the show? And, and I think people get under the impression that they don't have anything important to share. Well, we're, we all dealt with this hellacious last year and continue to deal with these, this crisis. We've all got a perspective to share. Everybody's got a story. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be a dramatic, overwhelming story, but just hearing familiar voices and knowing that they went through a lot of the same things you did can be really helpful for, for us yeah. and as friends and, and family in this industry. Yeah. we got to take care of each other, you know? And, uh, but yeah, thanks for, thanks for putting this, putting this together. Well, it was my pleasure. Before we go, everyone who comes on the show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I got a handful of questions for you real quick. You give me your best answer. Are you ready? Hold on. Oh, he's got the coffee. He's got coffee. What kind of coffee you got there? Um, uh, just black black coffee. coffee. Black coffee. No, good, good coffee. I mean, I like, like, I like a good coffee. Uh, Have you tried black rifle coffee? No. So black rifle, it's a little, a little on the expensive side, but it was, um, the company was started by, uh, I think it was a Marine veteran, but he's a military vet. And, um, I finally got, they had a, a, a sale over the holidays. And so I finally got some for Sarah and my, you know, I don't do coffee. I'm a tea guy. I just, I can't stand the taste of coffee, but Sarah could drink coffee all the time. Yeah. And she tried it and she was, her eyes lit up. She was like, this is the best cup of coffee I've ever had in my life. So if you get a chance, you should try uh, black rifle coffee and no, they're not a sponsor. I'm not making anything. I'm just, I'm just. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out there because uh, I like uh, I like supporting uh, good small businesses like that. Anyhow, your speed round questions. Here we go. Question number one: What's your favorite fair food? Favorite fair food would have to be turkey leg. Turkey leg. Best big concert you like the big the you know at Disney you know that's not actually turkey right? Oh really? Someone told me it was emu. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, then I like big emu leg. <laughs> What's the best concert you've ever attended? Best concert? Boy, man, I've been to some good ones. I've seen... I imagine. Man, I saw The Clash open up for The Who. That was probably one of my favorite. But I've also seen The Stones and David Bowie and Run DMC. Oh, and to see David Bowie, DMC, man. Van Halen. Journey man. was my concert. But, but my favorite, I think, was, was The Who. because I was, I was such a big Who fan. Cool. On an airplane, window seat or aisle seat? Aisle. First celebrity crush? Celebrity crush? Yes. First celebrity you had a crush on? Boy. Uh, and you're an old man, so this could go back a ways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember having uh, the Heather Locklear poster on my wall. So oh, <laughs> yeah. Melrose Place in Beverly Hills 90210 era. Yeah. Time. All right. Speaking of TV shows, if you could have a guest role on any television show, past or present, which show would it be? Seinfeld. Yeah, I could see that. Are you you kind of got the Kramer thing going on there I with your hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last question. If I opened your music player right now, which artist or band would have played the most? What band? Or, man, I don't know. Cause it's pretty, it's a pretty wide range of stuff. Um, boy, I don't, I, you know, um, class, classic rock, but I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what you would it find. It could be any of like 20 bands, huh? It probably could be, you know, um, but I, I, I grew up just listening to all kinds of music, you know, with my, my dad, uh, was a record collector. He's yeah. got over like 15,000, uh, vinyl. I mean, On like, vinyl? He's got like a record store in uh, in his downstairs. That's a record warehouse, man. Fifteen thousand yeah. ain't a store. That's a warehouse. Yeah. So I so I grew up just listening to you know music and uh, but I don't know what I would what would be you know I don't know. Do you have a favorite band? At the moment, I mean it changes all the time, but um, I'm I'm I play guitar and. Uh, I've got a, a a book of so I'm learning a bunch of Beatles songs. So I'm, oh, cool. and, and then my my uh, seven year old daughter is, is taking guitar lessons as well, and so she's kind of in on that as well. So that's kind of I guess what 
Awesome. That counts. We'll take it. We yeah. will accept your answer, Roberto the Magnificent. Right. <laughs> Listen, man, I'm so glad you could be on the show today. If fairs or uh, or folks want to reach out and contact you, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, either uh, website, robertothemagnificent.com or my entertainment company, which is leapfrog-entertainment.com. Leapfrog-entertainment.com. We have a smorgasbord of awesome acts that I book. I figure I, I book my stuff, so I might as well uh, uh, book some of uh, my awesome, talented friends that are in the Seattle area. Why not? If you can make it work. Roberto yeah. the Magnificent, absolutely one of the best performers I have ever seen in the fair industry. My man, thanks for coming on the show today. It was nice talking to you. Thank you, Robert. Uh, stay safe, and uh, I look forward to crossing paths this summer. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Air Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.